Well, you may not recognize the name or face or voice of my guest in the studio today, unless you're a political junkie. But I guarantee, without you knowing it, he has probably influenced your perception of Toronto mayors, Ontario premiers, or federal prime ministers, and likely influenced who you voted for or why along the way. His name is John Lassinger. I can describe him from uh, first-hand experience as the country's most experienced and active full-time political campaign manager. Think Eli on the good wife is what I like to think of him as. Perhaps not as nasty, although he's up to a few tricks along the way. He's been the boss of up to 50 election campaigns for dozens of politicians, including Brian Mulroney, David Miller, John Tory, Bill Davis, and most recently, Olivia Chow. And he's just published a bit of a memoir of his time in the back rooms called Campaign Confessions, Tales from the War Rooms of Politics, which is actually a primer on how campaigns are won, how they're lost, and why. So I thought that you'd be interested in how it all works. And I learned a little bit, too, as I skimmed through the uh, book, even though you and I have spent an awful lot of time talking about politics for about the last 20 or 25 years. That's right. You've probably spun me to death uh, a dozen times. Well, I know you have. And I, <laughs> it's only taken me about 15 years to figure out what you were doing along the way. But I think a lot of people would be surprised at, at how technical um, a campaign is and, and how much research actually goes into it. I mean, you, the book you point out is called almost like a primer, but there is an actual format and, um, you know, there's a textbook to it. Yeah. Well, there's things that work in politics and and after, and I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but uh, I've listened and I've learned. And I learn as much from from defeats as victories sometimes. Um, but the most important thing, uh, uh, all the supporting apparatus, all of the infrastructure, all the supporting actors and actresses, the war room, negative ads, all of that stuff is important. But... I say a lot of times in the book, the most important thing is the candidate. In any campaign structure, the candidate's name is on the ballot. Mm -hmm. The candidate performs or doesn't perform. The public sees the candidate uh, performing, and they make a judgment. And, you know, so win or lose, the candidate uh, gets the credit for it. But in terms of the formula, you know, you point out in the book the... 60% 60% level of, of change yep. that, that has to be part of the equation yep. before A, uh, a candidate, if you're working with a candidate, has a chance of winning, or B, an incumbent government has a chance of staying in place. Why, yep. why is that 60% such a magic number? There are two forces at play um, uh, in deciding every election. One is time for a change, and I'll come back to the 60% in a minute. And the second is expectations. The expectations um, uh, that people have of your candidate and of other candidates. Um, and uh, the we, we saw that come out in the 2015 federal election. There was massive time for change, 70%. When Harper called the election, he had no chance of winning. He, he knew it. Seventy percent, and unless he could change that level, and he tried to change that level by scaring people, by saying these people will you know, ruin you, economics will go down the toilet, 
blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he Justin's not ready. He's not up to the job. No, that's another thing. That, that plays on expectations. The, what he did with the not up for the job is he lowered the expectations for Trudeau. So what you have is massive time for a change and low expectations. Trudeau showed up, exceeded expectations, and the game was over. The Clinton people in the U.S., should be, should watch those lessons because they're at play in the U.S. now. The time for change numbers in the U.S. are 67, 68 percent. Mm-hmm. Hillary is the non-change candidate. She's trying to run uh, Barack Obama's third campaign. Um, the expectations for Trump going into the debate a week and a half from now are low. Nobody thinks he's going to win. Because he, he doesn't mean anything, he doesn't read, he doesn't understand politics or policy. Um, but what he does have, he's a right-wing populist. And right-wing, we saw it in Toronto with Rob Ford. He's a right-wing populist, has several advantages. Um, their supporters are, are not driven by policy. Hmm. All they were driven by with Rob Ford was stop the gravy train. Mm-hmm. Share with our audience how much actual, real, quantifiable, qualifiable research takes place in a campaign that you run. Um, if you don't, if you don't run research, it's like driving across the, the country without a map. Mm-hmm. You don't know where you're going. Uh, you're not trying to change um, uh, um, the candidate and make him be something he's not. But if he's got four ideas and three of them don't resonate. And he's wasting his time talking about them. So you bring focus groups in, you bring people in, you trust it out. Right. Yeah. Well, let me go through, because yeah, you expressed an interest in listening about the 2014 election. 2014, the mayoral campaign with that Tory won against Olivia Chow. In 2013, for the whole year, Forum Research reported a bunch of numbers and had Olivia and Chow in the lead. Uh, the second thing they report was 67% time for a change. So it was over the 60% level that I think is, is the tipping point. Um, what that did was it generated high expectations for Olivia. So fast forward, Olivia announces, uh, I do some focus groups. Uh, what do you know about Olivia Chow? Nothing. She's the wife of Jack, a widow of, of Jack Layton. And she is an NDP MP. That's it. So her vote was all based on name recognition. Mm-hmm. They didn't know anything about her. Didn't know she'd been a school trustee. Didn't know she'd been on Lastman's budget committee. Didn't know she'd been a, a, a city councillor. All they knew was a very, very shallow impression. And didn't know that English was her second language. Well, that as well. Second, so all of a sudden, um, three months later into the campaign, uh, we've announced some policy. It's wonderful policy. People love it, and everything's going well in the campaign. But the expectations for have been created by foreign research for a year very high, Mm -hmm. and she couldn't meet those high expectations. So that started to open the door for other people. 
Extrapolate then. What do you think happened in the uh, in the U.S.? I want to wrap up with your views on uh, on the Clinton-Trump race. But you know, we just saw a, a mix-up in the Trump campaign over the last couple of weeks. I mean, they fired his campaign manager or brought in the other people. I mean, I, I gather as Donald Trump may call him those shots. But what might we imagine was going on there between that? I think the family was playing a big role, from what I can tell. The family was saying, you've got to make changes. Um, uh, again, he's a right-wing populist. It, he, he has a shot at winning this. And uh, uh, all of us in Canada will go. You know? But we did it here. We saw Rob Ford. Mm -hmm. Wow. Is there anything the Clinton campaign, or what is it that the Clinton campaign needs to do to prevent uh, a Trump victory. I think she's got to be a bit more of a change candidate with 67% of the people saying, you know, we want change. She sort of acknowledged it in a couple of things that, you know, the, I understand people are upset or frustrated or whatever. Uh, but I think she, I, I think a little bit of policy to demonstrate that, that, that she has, she understands the change mentality of, of the voters uh, would go a long way. I think, I mean, I think th they're not that nimble. Nope. I, they got to start thinking like they're a challenger, that they're an underdog, rather than th they're trying to protect the lead. Trying to protect the lead is, is, is a mugs game, and it's a fool's game. Hmm. It's tough to do. For a man who knows. You got to be aggressive. Well, the upcoming debate, I guess, will tell a lot of stories. Just give me a perspective from a campaign perspective on the debate and how much that will have to do with the outcome. Um, it'll all be about expectations. Okay. And it'll not be about policy. They'll try to, they'll say, you know, I, I've, I've put out a plan for the economy, for child care, for health care, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it'll be about expectations. But how much rehearsed? And, right, and right now, the expectations are that Hillary Clinton's going to win the debate. If she doesn't, then you got a huge momentum problem going. What does your gut tell you? Who's going to win that race? Who's going to Who's going to become the president of the United States? Could be either one of them hmm. right now. Yeah, sure. Well, listen, it's a fascinating uh, book. For, for political junkies, everybody will read it or will want to. And for uh, average folks who are not necessarily engaged in politics throughout the, uh, their lives until and unless an election comes along, I can certainly recommend it as a, uh, as a primer to give you a, a background as to what really takes place. I mean, some of it's very smart and very calculated. Some of it's very, very nasty. But it will um, it, it give people an understanding of how these campaigns work. They, just, mm -hmm. they don't just take on a life of their own. They're, they're orchestrated and managed, and uh, that's what you've done. Good to see you. Good to see you again, John. The book is called Campaign Confessions, Tales from the War Rooms of Politics. My guest is John Lassinger.